Welcome to Access Utah. <clears throat> I'm Tom Williams. It's the member drive, and uh, we are looking for your support. And uh, because it's the member drive, we're doing best of Access Utah. And we hope that you remember some of these episodes, remember why you uh, love the program. Hopefully you love the program. You're, you've tuned in today. So we're going to hear uh, from a... Uh, uh, an episode from August, a Community Trauma and Resilience. We responded to the disappearance and death of uh, Lizzie Shelley here in the Logan area in May. And we had a great panel there, including Vonda Jump, uh, who is Assistant Professor of Social Work at Utah State University. Uh, we talked with a couple of living historians. Uh, that conversation happened during the summer as well, during the Benyon Teacher Workshop. Um, so uh, living historians portraying Frederick Douglass and Lucretia Mott. Uh, we'll have a portion of my conversation with Professor Jeannie Johnson from Political Science uh, talking about uh, anti or, or counterinsurgency and a very interesting conversation about uh, why America forgets the lessons of war. And uh, then if we have time at the end, we'll t- get a, a section from a very interesting conversation with uh, Claudia Schwabe from uh, the English Department um, talking about East German uh, fairy tales. Uh, I have with me uh, in studio for the hour, uh, Joseph Ward, who's Dean of the uh, College of Humanities and Social Sciences. Welcome. Good morning, Tom. Thanks for, for joining us. Um, so uh, we're, we're going to hear, and, and the unifying theme here, because you're here, uh, Dean, is uh, uh, all these folks are connected with, with our college, the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. So proud of the work of our faculty. We have a lot of them on, on a regular basis here on Access Utah. Um, and uh, we we like to put our, our best foot forward here. Maybe we could, uh, since we have you here, Dean, we could explain the some of the funding structure here at, uh, at UPR. We receive some money from the federal government, um, some money, of course, from businesses through advertising. We call it underwriting. Uh, we are a part of Utah State University and part of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences, and uh, the, the university pays some salaries, uh, but, but really the bulk uh, comes from the listeners. For Utah Public Radio to continue to thrive, to build on its uh, legacy of providing valuable information to the people of our state, we need member support. That's really the difference uh, between having the bare minimum programming, just having a station that can rebroadcast things, create elsewhere, and having programming like Utah Public radio does with Access Utah that addresses directly the issues facing the people of our state. We need listener support. And uh, here's the way to give that. Uh, 800-826-1495 is the number, 800-826-1495. Or you can go to upr.org, upr.org. And it's Sustainer Day here at Utah Public Radio. And uh, there's a challenge that has been issued by Vincent and Gina Wickwar. Uh, so that's all day, and that's up to $2,000. Uh, so uh, we, we want to get 20 sustainer pledges throughout the day to order to reach that uh, $2,000 listener uh, or, or challenge pledge. Uh, so you can be one of those. Sustainer is, uh, is just anything that's automatic. So I'm a sustainer. Um, I give monthly through payroll deduction at USU. It makes me feel great to know it's just taken care of. I don't have to to remember to get my credit card out and call in. Uh, It's automatic, and um, that sustaining membership is crucial for the management of the station because it's predictable. When 
um, Tom and Carrie, the, the co-manager of the station, sit down with me. We go over budgets. I'm looking very closely at how many sustaining members. That's a key data point when we're trying to understand the health and the vitality of the station. So for those who are listening, if you, if you give every year, you give regularly, please consider being a sustaining member so it's automatic payroll deduction or in a credit card so that we can plan for that going forward. It makes a huge difference. And that's the key. Yeah, we, can, we can plan. We know how much money we're likely to have come in. Uh, and then we can know which programs to, to keep and uh, hopefully not have to drop programming. And we know we, know, uh, we have some certainty. Uh, you're, you're so important. And uh, we tell you that over and over again. And uh, I hope that it, it, it's sinking in. You are very, very important to Utah Public Radio. It is a community. It really is a community. I love the community we have here at Access Utah. It's a two-way, a two-way conversation. And uh, now's the time when we're coming to you and uh, asking you, did you like the programming? And can you kick in a few dollars? And if you can become a sustainer, so much the better. You'll help us to reach this $2,000 from Vincent Gina Wickmore. 800-826-1495 is the number. 800-826-1495 or upr.org, upr.org. So before we go to our first piece, uh, Dean, you were telling me just before we went on the air, uh, you, you went to a bookstore in Chicago, did you? Yes, uh, I was in Chicago this weekend, and uh, uh, I always try to stop by the Seminary Co-op Bookstore. It's one of America's great independent bookstores, and um, it's just fabulous to see what's going on. And there was an entire—I was struck by the fact there was an entire section, must have been 20, maybe 30 books, that were all on the theme of um, the current state of— democracy, liberal democracy, however you want to define it. Um, a lot of books had the title, had, had the word crisis, you know, or failure or collapse in the, in, in the title. And what I was reflecting on is, is when I think about our system of government, which I think is an absolutely fabulous system, it all depends on the engagement of a well-informed citizenry. That's the wellspring of our system, of our democracy. And Utah Public Radio is a resource to help citizens be well-informed. So for those of us who are concerned about maintaining the health of our, of our system, um, supporting Utah Public Radio is, is a great way to do it. Yeah, the, it, it's those informal systems, right, that, that are so important. We can't. Yeah. We can't require everyone to do certain things to be well-informed. Right? We, we thankfully have gotten away with giving people tests before they can um, get a voter ID card. So it is informal. It's what, what you're talking about with your coworkers. It's what you're talking about around the dining room table at home with your family. The question is, where are you going to find reliable information on a variety of uh, of topics. Um, and Utah Public Radio is that resource for everyone in our state. 
And the way to support this, uh, it's a fast and easy, simple process. You call 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. We have some great thank you gifts as well. Uh, you can see those at upr.org, upr.org. You can take care of your pledge there as well, upr.org. Uh, one that's been very popular is our metal straw. It's engraved with Utah Public Radio, and this uh, helps to cut down on uh, using plastic straws. We have a, uh, a UPR mug. And we have uh, the uh, from Logan City the uh, reusable sturdy uh, plastic drawstring bag, and if you'd like all three of those together, that's a pledge of twenty dollars a month. Uh, so that's an option for you and help save the environment and uh, and make your public radio station strong. 800-826-1495 or upr.org. So our conversation, Dean, uh, leads into our first uh, segment. I think very well. We talked in August. Just a couple of months after um, the disappearance and then unfortunate uh, news of the death of uh, five-year-old Lizzie Shelley, the community here in northern Utah really pulled together. It was very heartening uh, to see that and to feel that. Everybody worried about uh, Lizzie Shelley and then the Shelley family. And that got us into a conversation in August here on Access Utah about uh, community trauma and resilience. And uh, from that conversation, uh, here's a segment uh, featuring Vonda Jump, uh, Vonda Jump Norman, who is uh, Assistant Professor of Social Work at Utah State University and Director of the Trauma Resiliency Project at the Family Place. Let's hear this. Uh, Vonda, I wonder uh, if, if you would tell us a story that you sent to me by email. Uh, this goes under the heading of... Community compassion. Maybe we shouldn't wait for someone to ask for help. Maybe we ought to offer that help. Ah, that's a great, a great heading for it, Tom. So I was at Macy's about a month ago or so, and I had hurt my leg, so I was going in to go buy some frozen peas, and I was going to be late to a meeting because I decided on the way, I better get these peas, and I just texted to say I'm going to be late. And they wrote back and said, actually – the meeting is not happening today, which I didn't know. And I went into the store, and I noticed on the way, the way in there was this young woman who I thought she was eating in her car. I came out, and I was talking to my husband, who was out of town. And then I looked over again, and that same woman was there. And I looked closer, and she was despondent, just despondent. And I thought for a second, and I said, you know, I'm just going to go tell her I'm so sorry about whatever is happening in her life. So I knocked on her window. She rolled it down, and she, and I just said, I'm so sorry. It seems like you're having a really hard day. And she, she began talking, and she's a professional in the community. She has so many strengths and she was having a really hard day she actually just said you know I I just don't see a way out and we ended up talking for about an hour and we laughed we cried we we just talked and her load was lighter at the end of that time together you know she said you know just talking about it helped so much and I just appreciate you stopping and showing that you cared 
because sometimes I just feel so alone. Hmm. Yeah, uh, that's wonderful. I mean, uh, my first reaction is, I want I want you for my neighbor, right? <laughs> uh, but but and I say that in jest, but um, it's because it's somewhat unusual, isn't it? I, I don't know. Does this this, this happen? Uh, I, if I'm having a bad day, I, I want someone to knock on my window, but I don't know how many people do that. Uh, very few. Yeah. Very few because we've learned to, again, perpetuate. We we take care of ourselves. We don't want to get in somebody else's business. We don't we don't want to be intrusive. We don't want to be invasive. Um, I think about some of the conversations I've had with my family and others over the past couple of years where it's like, well, what's the best way to communicate? This has been a conversation among my extended family. Oh, just text us. Texting us is easier. And yet I think Vonda's story points out that that, that listening – and talking and that personal connection that comes through that is so, so important to feeling like you have the support necessary uh, to be resilient, to go on. And especially um, especially with children and modeling that good listening um, and also the, the ability to express, you know, what we as adults are feeling in terms of our stressors, our anxieties, everything else is important to teach our kids. Yeah. Um, as well, but yeah, that talking, that personal connection, and really making that effort to reach out and listen um, becomes so important. And yet, with technology and the way that our world is going today, it's becoming less and less common. I mean, how many of us actually answer our phones? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> we can, oh, it goes to voicemail or text us. Don't I'm not gonna. I don't. I don't have time to talk. Um, and yet, that talking is so so important to feeling like, you know, you you can do it. Mm-hmm. You can do it. Esther Lee Molino, you you talked earlier about uh, social media, especially as it affects kids, right? And and it seems to me there's just, and this is my experience, technology, social media is sort of distancing. I mean, it's it's not it's not the connection that we used to have. Yes. So when Vonda first shared her story with me, I was just so moved because this is just who Vonda is, and. The four points that really stuck out to me in that story was one is Vonda stopped and took the time to talk with somebody in need, right? Two, she was empathetic. Sometimes people don't know what to say, like somebody's crying and it feels uncomfortable. So what do you say? And she said, gosh, I'm sorry, you're having a hard day. Um, Next, there was no judgment. And so that person felt safe talking with her. And then lastly, they didn't come up with a solution. You know, it was just somebody to talk to and to listen. And so tying in, uh, Tom, with your question about social media, I think social media is an excellent way to communicate, but a terrible way to connect, right? We can send a text quickly to communicate something, but there's not that connection. There's not that eye-to-eye conversation that you're not sensing where the other person is coming from and what their feelings may be. So I, you know, certainly pros and cons with social media, but what I'm seeing even with my own teenagers is they much rather text somebody or to post something because they can edit themselves, right? When we're having a face-to-face conversation, I go back to that vulnerability because what if I say something that I wish that I didn't? Or what if I sound really dumb? Or what if somebody takes a picture of me and my eyes are kind of closed or it looks like I have a double chin? I mean, you hear that a lot from kids, but in social media, like we can edit what we're going to say. So, 
you sound better or you can edit your pictures so you look extra good. And and so it feels scary to have real life conversations because it's it's your true self instead of the edited version. But don't we want people to be genuine and authentic? I mean, that's what's most important. But it feels like to me we're moving so far away from that, trying to be perfect or ideal in other people's eyes instead of feeling comfortable where we're at with ourself. An important part of that editing is going back to that notion of stigma and keeping up appearances. Now that we have social media, we have this this ability to really uh, be very intentional about this face that we put out there on social media to the world. And unfortunately, life isn't that clean and isn't that beautiful. Uh, I know I'm probably making my kids upset right now, but, <laughs> but it's not, uh, life is, life is messy. Life has drama. Life is not something that you can, that you can edit. And yet social media, I think encourages that to say, I, we're going to hide all of this stuff that's really happening in our lives. And we're going to put on this other face to the world. Um, and that's, I think where it can become very damaging. So that's a, just a segment from uh, our conversation in August. And um, just to introduce the other members of the panel, uh, Matthew Wappet, Director of USU Center for Persons with Disabilities, and Esther Lee Molyneux, Chief Relationship Officer at the Family Place in Logan. And, of course, we heard from Bonda Jump Norman, who's Assistant Professor of Social Work at Utah State uh, University. Important topic, uh, Dean Resilience. And this is resilience is being talked about more and more and studied. Yes, it's a, increasingly an area of study uh, across the university. And um, I would say, as someone who goes to campus-wide sort of administrative meetings, it's something we're talking about as a goal in terms of how we help our students to be successful. We need them to become more resilient. Um, so it's, it's, it's a set of skills, like we talked about communication skills or mathematical skills or other kinds of technical skills, being resilient, being adaptable, being able to uh, handle change, often unexpected change, um, to switch up your plans. Um, that's crucial for being successful. Tom, one, one thing that uh, came to mind while listening to that remarkable panel, I, I kept thinking, you know, what does it mean to be human? We're, we're living in a, a period where there's a great deal of anxiety about change, um, big technological change, um, robotics and artificial intelligence. And we're hearing more and more about entire sectors of the economy being um, transformed through, through technology. Well, that's a reminder that we need to be resilient. We need to be adaptable. Um, the The career path you're on in your 20s may may not be there in your 30s or 40s. So you've got to change. But it's also a reminder: of what's it all about? Why Why are we Why are we engaging in all of these uh, technological marvels if not to improve the quality of human life? And that that story that Vonda shared about uh, the woman she encountered outside uh, the grocery store. Uh, that really hit home, that it's that human connection that makes everything else worth doing. And I was struck by Esther Lee's um, statement, uh, social media helps communication, but not connection. Absolutely. It's a, 
it's a means to an end, but not an end in itself. Um, I'm I'm not a, a major player in 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 social media, but you know it is Monday morning. Uh, and uh, I, I grew up in, in Massachusetts, uh, and um, you know, following sports was a, a big part of just my, uh, my youth, and it's one of the ways I connected with my, with my dad, and, and I still stay connected to my brothers. Um, you know, uh, this time of year, there's a, there's a professional football team that's based in Massachusetts that um, we sort of talk about, and um, and, and this morning I was just looking at some of the, you know, fans sort of writing comments about the, the team we follow won yesterday. I think the score is 43 to nothing or close to that effect. Um, and the number of negative comments, the number of people writing in worried about this or our kicker missed a field goal or our left tackle got hurt. And, and I'm sitting there saying, this is so fascinating because here's this forum that's really set up for people to talk about entertainment. I mean, professional football is just largely a form of entertainment for those of us who aren't participating in it. And yet people were taking the opportunity to clearly bring other aspects of, you know, if you're unhappy, if there's something going on in your life that makes you stressed out, it doesn't matter what the score of yesterday's game was. You're just going to, you're going to share that. So there's a part of me that was just thinking, you know, here are people who are just trying to make some kind of connection Okay, we're talking about something that, at the end of the day, is not terribly important. But it's this—it's this form in which people can just sort of express themselves. And and I will never do this, but but for a couple of these posters who are just you know, woe is me, you know, they won four to three, nothing. But who cares? We've got these problems. I just want to reach out to them and say, what's going on? <laughs> it's kind of like like Vond at the grocery mm-hmm. store. Are you okay? Um, so so social media can help us to connect with people we might not otherwise connect with. But that matters only if we can then build a relationship. If we can, if we can build on that, it's 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 not just an end in itself. Otherwise, it's, we're just a bunch of soap bubbles, you mm-hmm. know, that just pop and yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah, and it maybe also takes a, a changed mindset. I was my reaction to Vonda's story was, well, of course, Vonda's going to do that. She's one of the most compassionate people I've ever known, and a trained social worker. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, would I do that? I, I'd like to think I would, but it uh, maybe a little less certain to do it than Vonda would. But uh, maybe a change in mindset where where we train ourselves to be more likely to knock on that window and 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 to care about each other and to care about the stranger. Um, you know, I've been thinking along those those lines um, about the the Statue of Liberty and the motto you know on the base of the Statue of Liberty that that you know we want to take in the refugee we want to take in those who are struggling we we want to be a place of comfort and a place of opportunity but you can only realize that if you genuinely care about the individual people and it's not just some abstraction right where oh this 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 huge issue that's that's generating a lot of conversation nationally I care about that issue. Okay, but what about the person you're going to pass on the street? Do you care about that person? So maybe we as individuals can or cannot affect the national debate on some huge issue, but remember what we can do in our local neighborhoods, our local communities. Yeah, we can certainly affect the life of 
the person whose window we knock on, to, 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 to continue the metaphor there. I had to make a, a transition from that um, uh, very important conversation to a more mercenary conversation, but I'm going to do it because we need to. Um, and where do you hear conversations like this, long-form conversation about important uh, community issues? Where do you uh, continue your habit of lifelong learning? Um, where do you connect with uh, people of like mind uh, who are uh, very uh, concerned about community issues? Well, one of the places is right here at Utah Public Radio and on Access Utah. Yeah, we, we need to invest in our community if it's going to be healthy. And, and some of us have more capacity than others. Um, but I think if, if we can help as we are able to do, it makes a huge difference. And I, I just want to make sure the listeners understand uh, from the perspective of someone who has supervisory responsibility for, for Utah Public Radio, the number of sustaining members matters. It, it tells me that there are people who care enough to make a monthly gift. Um, I know that many listeners aren't able to do that, but for those who can, if more of them will do it, that will really ensure that Utah Public Radio will be that resource for current affairs information uh, for our state um, for many, many years to come. And a sustainer just means that it's regular, and so that could be payroll deduction through Utah State University. Uh, that uh, could be automatic uh, bank transfer. Uh, it's a number of ways. Uh, just ask the volunteer when you, well, they'll ask you, you know, to, how would you like to do this? And tell them, hey, I'd like to be a sustainer. Uh, this is important. We have a uh, sustainer challenge that's going all day today from Vince and Gina Wickwar. Uh, Vincent Wickwar is uh, with USU Center for Atmospheric and Space uh, Sciences. And you know Gina from uh, the UPR commentaries that she uh, contributes um, and uh, we are looking to get 20 sustainer pledges throughout the day in order to reach the $2,000 challenge pledge from the Wickwars. Uh, so you can, uh, uh, you can do that, help us to, uh, to reach that goal, uh, by calling right now, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. I'll say the number again, 800-826-1495. Uh, a great volunteer will be there with you and uh, take you through the process. Uh, you can go to upr.org as well, UPR. Org. We have a bunch of great sustainer or uh, thank you gifts. One of the most popular has been our environment package, where for $20 a month, if you can come in at that level, you get the engraved metal straw in a very nice pouch engraved with UPR on it. Uh, so you're not uh, continually using a bunch of plastic straws and uh, piling them up in the ocean. Uh, you get the UPR mug, the new UPR mug, and you get uh, the, uh, the new... Uh, it's a new effort from uh, Logan City. It's a uh, sturdy uh, plastic uh, drawstring uh, bag. So you can use all of those for a pledge of twenty dollars uh, per month. It, it's it's incredible how much plastic we consume as individuals. It adds up to hundreds of pounds every year. And these types of environmentally responsible gifts, it seems on the one hand, just so odd to think that a straw, a metal straw uh, can make a difference, but it, it, it really adds up in these drawstring reusable grocery bags. Um, adds up tremendously. Yeah. Uh, the statistic we got from Logan City, uh, Cache County alone, 
in, in a year uh, uses 45 million plastic bags, uh, which are on average used for 12 minutes. Just incredible. And I, I, I'm an offender. I sometimes do that. My wife's much better. She, she has some of those you know, cloth bags. And, 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 and we use these bags for a brief period of time, but they live in the landfill forever. Yeah. Yeah. Or flow out into the ocean. Right. Yeah. Or they end up in the top of the tree. Right. Because it gets blown in the wind. No. Um, these efforts are, are, are very important. And, and it speaks to Utah Public Radio's commitment to making our community healthier. And it's a fast and easy process, 800-826-1495, upr.org. And we're thanking you ahead of time. Let's go to a break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to uh, hear uh, from some living historians. Uh, earlier in the summer, I, I talked with Nathan Richardson and Noel, Renee Noel Felice. They were here for the Benyon Teachers Workshop, and uh, they were impersonating uh, Frederick Douglass and Lucretia Mott, respectively. More following this break. Next time on Living on Earth, all is not lost. There are some practical solutions to reverse climate change. Also, how a family tried a flock of guinea fowl to get rid of the ticks that cause Lyme disease. I'm Steve Kerwood, and that's next time on Living on Earth from Public Radio International. Wednesday morning at 10, here on Utah Public Radio. On the next Putumayo World Music Hour, we'll while away a sultry afternoon in a Brazilian cafe as the warm sounds of acoustic bossa nova and samba float through the air. O vento faz no seu cabelo alinhado, com meu I'm Rosalie Howard. Join us for Brazilian Cafe, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Join us Friday night at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members. And Cash Arts 2019 through 2020 National Touring Season presents Anne of Green Gables The Ballet, Via Lobos Brothers, and The Illusionists. Ticket and seating information at cashearts.org. Utah Public Radio would like to thank Community Nursing Services for becoming one of our newest sponsors. For more information on how you can become a sponsor, email debbie.andrew at usu.edu. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to download our UPR app so you can listen anywhere. Hi, I'm Steve Williams, host of Jazz Time here on Utah Public Radio. I hope you'll join me Sunday evenings for a journey through the world of jazz music, from ragtime to bop. From Havana to Logan, Utah, tune in for a bit of history, commentary, the occasional interview, and of course, all that jazz. Jazz time, Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. I have with me for the hour uh, Joseph Ward. He is Dean of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. Utah State University is part of that uh, college. So we're grateful for the Dean uh, being with us uh, today, helping us to uh, raise the money that we need to continue UPR uh, and Access Utah. And of course, um, I, I take very personal, very personally grateful for the pledges that come in during Access Utah. It's, it's a sign of support for the program. Uh, we do our best to put out interesting programming, which will connect with you. And, uh, and then we come twice a year and say, hey, did you like that? And would you kick in some money? 
Yes, this is an opportunity to show support for a program you care about. Uh, it's a quick and easy process, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or upr.org. We're especially hoping that you'll come in as a sustainer today. That just means it's, it's, it's regular, so it could be payroll deduction. Utah State University could be automatic bank transfer. Uh, Dean Ward, you said you're a, you're a sustainer. Yes, I, I, I give through a monthly payroll deduction um, to Utah Public Radio and to several other uh, parts of our of our college and it's it's wonderful to have it just taken care of automatically um, and uh, it just saves steps uh, and and frankly I don't I don't notice it after a while yeah yeah uh, me either yeah it's, it's it's a great way to do it it's a win-win uh, Vincent Gina Wickwar uh, the prominent longtime uh, wonderful members of UPR have put up two thousand dollars to encourage you and we're looking for 20. 20 people to come in as sustainers by the end of uh, the pledge, uh, the efforts today. You know, we have a, a funding model um, where our elected officials are trying to keep um, payroll taxes as, as low as possible. Uh, and so instead of, you can imagine a different system where we paid higher monthly taxes and then our elected officials distributed the money, um, those of us who are working regularly have that little bit of extra that's not being taxed. Uh, and so it's up to us to choose how to spend it. And so I see my monthly contributions in a way as, as, as fulfilling my commitment to the things I care about. Yeah, certainly important. It strengthens the community. 800-826-1495 or upr.org. I want to make a correction, um, uh, I, especially since we won't get to this piece, I don't think, today. We, we will tomorrow. Uh, Claudia Schwab, uh, I characterized her as being from the Department of English. She is uh, from the Department of Languages, Philosophy. Uh, she's associate professor of German. Her interesting book on East, uh, well, it's uh, the, the segment we're going to play uh, tomorrow is on East German fairy tales, so tune in for that tomorrow. Let's uh, jump into our next uh, piece. We'll uh, hear a, a bit from uh, the 2019 Benyon Teachers Workshop. The title was Forward Out of Darkness, Gender, Media, and Suffrage in the United States, 1848 to 2019. The special guests for that workshop were living historians. Apparently, uh, historical reenactors has gone out. Living historians is in. Uh, in any case, Nathan Richardson uh, goes around impersonating um, Frederick Douglass. I made it sound like this is a bad thing. He go, just goes around in any uh, random place in person. No, he goes to where he's invited and uh, impersonates Frederick Douglass so we can get a taste of, of the man. And Rene Noel Felice um, impersonates um, Lucretia Mott. And uh, so it was. this was just a kick. Uh, the first part of the program, uh, I talked to them as Frederick Douglass and Lucretia Mott, and that was really fun. And then the, the second half of the program, we had them come out from behind their masks. But uh, So here's a portion of my conversation with Nathan Richardson and Renee Noel Felice. To begin this uh, segment, uh, Frederick Douglass, um, I'd like to have you tell uh, us about uh, your escape from slavery and, uh, and and your feelings uh, upon becoming a free man? Well, I'll be happy to. And, of course, I, I did try to escape uh, twice. Uh, the first time I tried to escape, I had a pact with four of my fellow men in bondage, uh, in which we devised a plan. We would uh, 
write a note uh, that gave us permission to sail on the Chesapeake Bay up to Annapolis, and we would catch a raft and uh, paddle our way uh, to freedom along the Chesapeake Bay uh, to Annapolis. Uh, unfortunately, uh, one of us uh, turned out to be a traitor, and we were found out and soon uh, jailed downtown in St. Michael's. I thought at that point I would be sold down south uh, to Mississippi or Alabama, where I would certainly never have returned. Uh, we call that territory the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Any slave born or, or sold uh, to plantations down south would never see the light of day again. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, my master came and bailed me out. Captain Anthony bailed me out and saved me from that fate. Uh, and then I went back working on the plantation. And then they sent me back to Baltimore uh, with Mr. Mr. Hugh, uh, and he farmed my labor out uh, to uh, one of the shipyards in Bells Point. I learned the, the trade of a ship's copper. And while I was uh, working uh, in this, uh, in this uh, shipyard, making about 8 or $9 uh, per week, I would have to give all of that to my master, except for maybe six cents. Occasionally, he had the audacity to hand me back six cents out of six dollars. And so this was still certainly slavery. And I decided to, I would just start devising a plan to escape. And I was attending some uh, meetings, uh, camp meetings, uh, and I met uh, my soon-to-be uh, wife. Uh, and uh, we made a plan that I would dress up as a sailor. And, uh, and then I would run away. I would catch a train, and that's what I did. I caught a train. I dressed up as a sailor. She sold her bedpost uh, to help me raise some funds to, to buy a sailor suit. Uh, I used uh, not uh, the usual uh, free papers, freedom papers, but I used a sailor's card, which just had an eagle and, and the name of the sailor on it uh, to uh, perpetuate my escape. And when I got boarded that train, shaking like a leaf. Uh, when the conductor came and asked me for my freedom papers, I looked him in the face and I said, well, sir, uh, I'm a sailor. I do not carry my freedom papers to sea. I do have my, my sailor's papers. And I flashed the eagle at him, and he let me pass. And so I caught that train uh, from, from Annapolis to Baltimore and then a ship and ended up in New York. And once I arrived in New York, uh, then I was faced with a whole other situation I had never faced before. You know, with, with freedom comes responsibilities. I was there in New York with uh, food everywhere, with lodging everywhere, but no money to purchase any of it. And no one that I could trust, even black men uh, in that big city of New York, uh, could not be trusted. Uh, there were uh, bounty hunters everywhere looking for runaway slaves. I had to be very careful who I might confide in to say I'm a runaway slave. And so um, I was very, uh, very apprehensive about speaking to anyone. But I eventually made my way uh, to, to New Bedford, my wife and I. Uh, and that's how I, that's how I escaped from slavery. And it, you've, you've said that uh, something to the effect of uh, one day of freedom was worth a, a year as a slave. Absolutely. I, I, you know, I prayed for 20 years for my freedom. It was not until I prayed with my feet that I actually attained my freedom. <laughs> I think there's a scripture that goes along with that. The faith without works is dead. And so uh, I certainly prayed for my freedom. Uh, I remember sitting on the banks of 
the Chesapeake Bay, you're looking at the white sails, the billowing sails of ships sailing up and down the Chesapeake Bay, and in those sails I saw my freedom. If I could just be on the deck of one of those ships, I would one day uh, find my way out. Uh, and I can remember times when I was certainly, uh, my spirit was broken, uh, and I, I realized that either I would die a slave or, or die trying to, to escape, and so I chose the latter. Mm. Lucretia Mott, it, it occurred, of course, Frederick Douglass is known as a great orator. Um, I wonder if you could talk about how finding your voice, and it occurs to me this this fight, of course, it came to, you know, physical fight, civil war, um, but but this, this fight for um, for abolition, for women's suffrage, was uh, was words. It's persuading people. Well, for me, uh, I was, uh, as I told you, uh, I always uh, thought that uh, Nantucket was paradise. And uh, among uh, Quakers, um, one sits in um, expectant waiting upon the Lord. And uh, when I was quite young, uh, finding my voice was not the problem. They called me long tongue. Uh, I was a very um, uh, forceful young young woman, and I had a lot to say, and I was not uh, shy about saying it. But um, they told me that um, I needed to curb my tongue, not to find it. And um, one time I was... Um, sitting in, in friends' meeting, and uh, one of the elders, um, who was a woman, uh, spoke of uh, God's giving uh, Joseph um, in Egypt uh, the strength to endure. And uh, I thought, that is, is what I need. I need to pray more, uh, to, to uh, hold my tongue until... Um, the time is, is right to use it uh, wisely and well, and uh, God will give me that strength if I ask for it. And I needed um, a token, uh, a, a reminder um, of, of my commitment to, to that. And um, I went home, and I had uh, recently acquired a, a pair of uh, shoes, and the shoes had the most beautiful blue bows on them. And I cut off the bows. Um, so that every time I looked down at my feet, I would see a, a tangible uh, reminder to speak only when uh, I do, did believe that um, my Creator was uh, prompting me. And uh, I tried to follow that principle uh, through my entire life, uh, to speak only when the Spirit uh, moved me. So there's a portion of my conversation from this summer with uh, living historians. We heard from uh, Frederick Douglass and from Lucretia Mott, performed by Nathan Richardson and Renee Noel Felice, respectively. And they were headliners for the Benyon Teachers Workshop at Utah State University. Uh, this is administered, I understand, uh, Dean, out of, out of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. Yes. Uh, Ione Benyon, who was a very active member of the USU and Cache Valley communities uh, in the middle part of the last uh, century, uh, endowed uh, this summer workshop for teachers to help perpetuate democratic principles among um, really K-12, but we've extended it to include college. 
instructors as well. And each summer, a faculty member, or this year was a team of uh, faculty members, Candy Carter Olson and Kathy Bullock from our Department of Journalism and Communication. They, they pick the topic and they, and they organize it, and, and it's a lively part of our summer. We have some of our summer citizens uh, participate as well as uh, students seeking uh, course credit or continuing education uh, opportunities. Uh, Tom, what, what struck me about this segment related to our earlier segment was, again, this emphasis on a human-level connection. Okay, why do we have people acting out um, the roles of of famous historical figures? Well, it's it's to help us to actually make that connection. You can you can read a text. Obviously, uh, Frederick Douglass and Lucretia Mott both produced a great deal of of written work, and 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 we do read their texts and and discuss them um, frequently, but. To, to have someone embody the spirit of that historical actor allows the other people in the room just a, more of a three-dimensional uh, uh, understanding of what that person's uh, life was like. And, and in this segment, we heard about the, these, these key moments, these, these conversations that they had or that, that encounter you know, where Frederick Douglass had to basically talk his way onto the train. It just brings it home on, on I think, on a, on a human level, um, the courage uh, that they had, but also that they were part of communities. They didn't do what they did on their own. I think too often um, we assume that there are certain people who are just superstars and the rest of us are, are, are not. But actually all of these major historical figures had the self-confidence um, to to make bold moves because they had social support yeah. behind them. Yeah, it's, it's certainly true. Um, so it, it's illustrative of the of the range of programming that we that we give you a, a conversation on community trauma and resilience, uh, living historians. Uh, shortly, we'll uh, we'll hear another segment uh, with featuring Jeannie Johnson, who studies the Marine Corps and lessons that America uh, learns and forgets. Uh, I think, I hope you agree, worth supporting, and here's how you do that. 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or upr.org. Uh, we have with us uh, for the hour, uh, for another few minutes, um, Joseph Ward, who is Dean of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. Uh, Dean, we have had a couple of calls here this hour. Uh, Jacqueline Littledyke in Lewiston called in. Uh, she says, keep up the good work. So thanks, uh, Jacqueline. And Andrew uh, Kolmatiski, hope I got your name right, Andrew. Uh, he is a sustainer in Logan. He says, the more news, the better. Hooray. <laughs> so Thank you uh, both. That'll help us toward that 20 that we need by the end of the Abs- day to get the 2,000. Absolutely. And those sustaining memberships are especially valuable as we make our plans from one year to the next about our budget, our programming, how many interns we can employ, um, how many trips outside of Cache Valley the team can take to record on location throughout our state. We think that's super important. But, but for us to provide that variety of programming requires confidence in our budget. 
And so sustainer just means that's a payroll deduction if you work uh, full-time for Utah State University or automatic bank transfer. Those are a couple of ways to uh, be a sustainer. Ask the volunteer when you call. Uh, and we need 20 by the end of the day to get 2,000 from Vince and Gina Wickwar. They've put up uh, that challenge to you. Um, so before we go to the next uh, segment, um, uh, Dean Ward, thank you so much it's for been coming a, in. It's been a pleasure to be here, Tom. I have tremendous respect uh, for the work that you do uh, to help our listeners stay informed. And it, it, it's, this is absolutely a community operation. It, it certainly is. So, so thank you so much ahead of time here. Let's go out with this. We won't be able to hear all of the segment we've prepared, but this is a portion of a segment with Jeannie Johnson. She's a professor of political science, and her book was called is called The Marines, Counterinsurgency and Strategic Culture. And uh, in this segment, she talks about how America learns lessons and then somehow manages to uh, unlearn those lessons. Let's hear a portion of this. So um, one of our patterns as Americans is, and specifically the American security community, is that while we are heavily involved in a counterinsurgency or an irregular war, and we start to get mired into it, um, we figure out, wow, we, we probably ought to learn the way of life of these people that we're trying to collaborate with in order to do a better job of collaborating with them. So we start to invest in cultural training. And in Vietnam, you know, there were a lot of civic action efforts to supply a degree of cultural training, mainly to those who were going out and doing projects. There was not cultural training offered to regular U.S. military forces. The CAP Marines got a touch of that. It was two weeks worth at a CAP school before they went into their villages. But still, it was very, very limited. Um, We ended up doing a much better job of this before sending forces into Iraq and Afghanistan. Not initially. Um, By about two years in, three years in, we were doing a better job of this. But our pattern is we ramp that up while we're fighting an irregular war. And then as soon as that war is done, we get rid of our cultural competence training. And I can tell you that is happening right now in front of us. So tick, 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 one by one, excellent cross-cultural competence courses, um, whether these are hosted by the Navy SEALs or by the Marine Corps or by other institutions, the Army, they are being cut of their funding one after the other. And the idea is, well, this is this is not really the kind of knowledge or the skill base that we would need to find a conventional war. And because we're focused now on conventional foes like Russia and China and Iran, um, then culture won't be as important, which is, of course, just um, com- a complete misunderstanding of the purpose of investing in uh, cultural know-how. So even if we were to go to war, um, heaven forbid, with one of those other great powers, the the strongest likelihood is that we would not be fighting that war on our homeland or on theirs. We would probably be fighting it across some unfortunate third-party population who just got stuck in the middle of a great power fight. And in that circumstance, um, the country that has invested in cross-cultural competence, we call it, the ability to land in a new place 
and ask the right questions, to pause before judgment, to understand this group of people and their ways of life and their ways of thinking, the country that has invested most thoroughly in that skill set will most quickly build collaboration with the host population on the ground, and they will have the advantage in that fight. And so as absolutely obvious and commonsensical as that may be, it falls outside the logic of our military and intelligence institutions, and we fail on this point in every round Mm. and have done so across the last 100 years of combat Mm. history. So this is so consistent mm-hmm. <laughs> and maddening, right? Yep. Especially someone yep. like you just trying to preach this. Right. So why? Why do we keep losing these lessons? Um, that particular lesson we lose uh, for two reasons. The first is that Americans tend to be possessed of the idea that um, – There's a natural progression for humankind leading toward democracy, that people are naturally drawn toward democracy and the ability to have control over their own political and economic lives. And this is a very compelling idea. And there's a lot of evidence to support it. But what it means is that the thought is, well, whatever culture they practiced before is the one they mostly want to get rid of. And we are bringing the enlightenment of um, individualism and control of your own life and your government. And so since these ideas are so attractive and since they are the ideas toward which all humans are inclined anyway, then we don't really need to get to know much about where they are right now because we're offering where they want to go. So there is a portion of my conversation with Jeannie Johnson, Assistant Professor of Political Science at Utah State University. And our thanks to uh, you for listening to Access Utah on a regular basis, listening today, and uh, giving. We we appreciate it. And uh, if you haven't yet, 800-826-1495 is the number to call. Thank you. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal. KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM Logan. Also heard online at upr.org.